the Jokic Morris incident that occurred. Joker was coming down the court. Morris took the foul with a forearm shiver to the rib area. And as Morris walked away with his back turn, the Joker charged him, causing him to be thrown to the ground, which triggered all of this. So I would say he is definitely at fault for that foul. But I think Joker was suspended because of how he retaliated. I am pulling up on players only meetings because I've seen them be very successful. Sometimes it's just people arguing, kind of hashing out their frustrations, but other times you're actually able to get stuff done, which is important. You need to understand, you know, what's going on with the team. You need to understand, you know, why people are feeling a certain way. And I think the Celtics hit the nail on the head in a lot of different areas. The Warriors. They're off to the league's best start, 10-1, and one, playing extremely well, number one in points scored, number one in point differential, number one in assists, number one in made threes per game, number one in defensive rating. And all of this has to do with not only their coaching staff, not only their players, obviously Steph Curry, but I think it's their chemistry and the way in which they play the game. to the 125th episode of Pull Up. That's right, 125 episodes. And on this date, November 12th, 1960, Bill Russell pulled down 37 rebounds in 131 to 124 win over the Lakers. Could any player in today's game grab 30 plus rebounds? The answer is yes, Andre Drummond. He's grabbed basically 20 to 25 rebounds in his last two starts for the 76ers. One of the best rebounders I've ever seen in my life. And also a fellow Excel Sports Management member. So shout out to my guy, Trey. All right. We are currently in Houston as I record this podcast. Um, an off day after a back-to-back. The season is officially wearing on, I think, everyone. Everyone at this point. There's been a lot of games played thus far. We are 5-7. and seven. Not ideal, not how we pictured this season starting off, but our current reality We have played extremely well at home, top five defense at home, uh, probably a top five or top 10 net rating overall. And our only losses this season opener against the Kings with some good wins against playoff caliber teams. On the road, however, we are 0-6. I think this is the first time in a long time that we've started this poorly on the road. We haven't executed well offensively or defensively. And I think, you know, for us, it just starts with, you know, getting back to the basics, um, getting back to, you know, the little things like communication, transition, taking care of the ball, uh, really, really focusing in on each and every possession because although, you know, we dropped a game last night against the Suns. I think it's some little possessions in the second quarter, some little possessions in the first quarter that allow us to go from, you know, being down one uh, in the second quarter with six minutes left to being down 13 at halftime. And when you're playing a, against a, a quality opponent like the Suns or another quality opponents that we'll face um, throughout this year, you can't give them easy opportunities and you can't dig yourself into a hole, especially when you're playing a back-to-back. So, we're looking forward to playing against the Houston Rockets, trying to get our first uh, road victory and then, you know, kind of turning the page and, and putting putting those initial uh, road losses uh, behind us. In terms of this season so far, it's been, as I said before, it's been very up and down uh, depending on whether or not we're playing at home. Uh, I think offensively, you know, we're still trying to figure things out. We're, we're continuing to, you know, get used to Chauncey's system, get used to spacing, where we're, where we're going to be able to attack from on that front. And I think our efficiency has, you know, fluctuated a lot. Me personally, my efficiency has fluctuated as well. And I think, you know, 
it'll help when we are able to get more practices in. It'll help when we're able to get into the gym. But right now, the schedule's been very compact to where we're just having to watch film, take care of bodies, try to stay healthy, and then kind of learn it on the fly. But I think uh, Dame's definitely picked it up. He's, he's played extremely well these last few games, uh, much more efficient, much more comfortable. I think he's starting to settle into to, to the new offense and schemes and how we're going to play, you know, from this moment forward. And I think, obviously, he's shooting the ball uh, much better, uh, finishing well around the basket. And I think people made a big deal about, you know, percentages, what he was shooting, you know, how he was looking. And I think people people didn't realize that when you have a new offense, when you're being asked to do new things that you aren't necessarily accustomed to, it can affect how you play, it can affect your performance, and it can also affect your mentality in terms of when to attack and when to not attack. And I think just you know being able to break down film, being able to have conversations with them, and I was just telling them to continue to stay aggressive and be you and kind of pick your spots, and you know, we'll figure out ways to kind of help uh, orchestrate and, and, and generate easier opportunities for him, understanding that he's still very capable of making the highly contested and, and, and tough shots that only a special uh, special amount of players can make in this league. But I, I think that, you know, that, that tide has kind of turned. And now for us as a, as a team, we just need to put together, you know, a full game. I think we put together some great games at home, some full games. We put together some great quarters, stints, and halves on the road, but we haven't put together a full game yet. And I think um, in our next game uh, on Friday, we're looking forward to that opportunity of doing just that. And then we, we wrap up this road trip with a tough uh, game in Denver against the Nuggets. But I'm really looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to getting in the gym uh, being able to kind of fine tune some things, work on some stuff, you know, understanding where I'm going to be getting shots from, where I'm going to be getting touches from, figuring out ways to become more efficient with each touch, uh, whether that's making a play for somebody else, getting into the lane, or making a play for myself. And I think I discussed this a little bit with some of my friends and family. They asked us about, you know, ability to adjust, you know, to the season starting, obviously, what that kind of looks like for us from a travel standpoint. And it's it's been a it's been a a rough travel season for us to start uh, because of the back to backs. Uh, we we finished up a five and seven. Five and seven means five games in seven days last week and we have another ten games in fourteen days with a lot of travel. So it's been really hard on the body, but also hard for our staff to kind of figure out, you know, how to put in adjustments. You know, I mean, we, we watch a lot of film, we're breaking down the game and we're seeing the types of mistakes that we're making as a team. We're seeing the types of mistakes that we're making individually, but outside a walkthrough, it's hard to really correct it. And I think uh, as a player, you don't realize the importance of practice until you can't practice uh, due to the amount of games you're playing. And I think that's where a lot of teams are able to, to kind of adjust uh, within the margins, win within the margins and uh, transition into becoming a better team. And I think we'll be able to have some practices when we have less games. Obviously, when we're at home, we can have shoot arounds and things of that nature. Uh, that'll allow us to figure some things out. But it's, it's, it's been a struggle for a lot of teams I've been watching across the league because so many games are being played in so few days. They're not able to necessarily practice and make adjustments where you see games like us beating the Lakers by, you know, 30 and then the Lakers going to beat, you know, two quality opponents in the Charlotte um, Charlotte Hornets as well as the Miami Heat most recently with essentially the same roster. Uh, I think um, as, a, as a guy who is big on routine, who's big on working out, who's big on communicating uh, certain things with his teammates on the floor. I think practices are great because then you can specifically walk through stuff and then you can execute it at game speed or 50% or 70%, depending on the level of practice you're having. Then you can also do dry run-throughs 
where you're able to tighten up some of the little intricate details uh, of the offense and defensive side of the ball, understanding where to show at, understanding where you're supposed to switch at, understanding, you know, pick and roll concepts, where you would like the screens on the ball, where you like the screens off the ball, Chauncey being able to kind of show us the spacing in order to, to create better driving angles for myself, for Dame, for Norm, uh, better rolling angles uh, for Nurk, and then also better shooting opportunities uh, for Rocco and some of the other guys on the team. Uh, I think practice is, is a huge, huge part of uh, a lot of teams' success, and I think the best teams know when to practice and when not to. And I think for a lot of teams, it's <laughs> we're in that we're in that era where you have to rest when you have back to backs and travel, but you also have to figure out how to implement practices. And, and we've done a pretty good job of balancing that. And I look forward to getting back in the gym to not only practice, but also to kind of tighten up some things, you know, uh, within my game so that I can be a little bit more efficient and, and help put us in a better position uh, consistently uh, for all four quarters. But we got so much to talk about on the pull-up pod, so stay locked in. I'll answer some fan-submitted questions. I'll share my thoughts on the Celtics. I'll discuss what's happening with some key players across the league. But make sure you're following the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hit us with a five-star review. And share the show with a friend and tell that friend to tell a friend. If you're a casual basketball fan or a super fan or just someone who watches SportsCenter, you've definitely seen the Jokic-Morris incident that occurred um, earlier this week. For those of you that didn't see it, basically, uh, the Miami Heat were losing you know, by you know almost 20 points or around 20 points. And Joker was coming down the court. Uh, in transition, and one of the Morris twins actually, you know, went to take a foul. Ended up taking a hard foul where he got the elbow up around the, the rib area, the rib cage area on the Joker. Um, it was definitely an aggressive foul. It was definitely a hard foul, probably unnecessary. Uh, and the Joker didn't like it. He he took he took it as I don't know disrespect as an insult. He felt like it was a cheap, dirty play. He felt like um, it was a play in which. Uh, shouldn't have occurred. And as Morris walked away with his back turn, the Joker charged him and threw a a forearm shiver, so to speak, or a little shoulder into the back of Morris, causing him to to be thrown to the ground, which then turned into a bunch of players kind of rushing towards each other and the, the referees and officials having to step in and kind of separated everything. But a long story short, Morris was laid on the ground for a little while. They brought a stretcher out. He ended up getting up on under his own power and leaving the arena. But there was a a larger conversation that was centered around whether or not Morris foul was appropriate, whether or not Morris foul was was what kind of triggered this whole situation. And I think having watched it multiple times, having kind of gone through it, and then seeing the the Twitter exchange, obviously um, between Morris's twin brother and Jokic's twin brothers. Um, I don't even know if they're twins. Jokic, big brothers. <laughs> uh, it was it was a lot for the league to kind of handle and have to balance. It was a lot for fans to to be able to see. We all know the Morris twins are from Philly and have a reputation as being very physical basketball players. Uh, obviously, there's a story that's public knowledge in which the Morrison twins reportedly uh, beat up their mother's boyfriend um, some years ago. And we now know about the Joker's brothers, um, big brothers. There's a story in which the Joker's brothers once held Joker down, 
tied him down and threw knives at him around his head uh, because he refused to climb a tree. That was a little crazy, Jokic said. So that gives you the picture as to the type of environment he grew up in with his brothers. The NBA ended up suspending Joker for one game. They fined Morris 50K, and they fined uh, Butler 30K for escalation after the altercation. And he also refused to do a security interview, <laughs> according to according to uh, uh, sources. But all in all, I think the NBA handled this correctly. I think Morris' foul was out of line. He shouldn't have fouled him that way. But I also think that the Joker, understanding that the league has kind of evolved, and with him coming, you know, from European basketball, the take foul is basically a foul when you when you kind of take, you show the referee like, hey, I'm fouling. Uh, the other team is probably in position to either score, it's a transition play, maybe a fast break where one of your teammates may have fallen down and the other team has numbers. You kind of like reach in and hit a guy or take a foul. Morris took the foul with a forearm shiver to the rib area, uh, which triggered all of this. So I would say he is definitely at fault for that foul. But I think Joker was suspended because of how he retaliated. If he would have retaliated face-to-face, I don't necessarily think it would have been as big of an issue because, for one, Morris would have seen it coming, and for two, the rest probably would have stepped in before anything happened. But since he charged so quickly and kind of hit him as a defenseless guy, I think that led to the one-game suspension because Morris could have been seriously injured. You know, he could have hurt his knee, obviously whiplash. He could have hurt his back. He could have fallen, wrist. There's a lot of things that could have happened there to where a player was defenseless. And I think the league in general wants to kind of discourage not only all confrontations, but they want to discourage, you know, players kind of attacking or charging a defenseless player. Um, There's nowhere for that in our game today. And I think that the NBA handled it appropriately. Joker will miss a game and lose a lot of money. Uh, everyone involved will lose money. And I think going forward, just kind of a reminder um, to obviously compete at a high level, to be aggressive, um, to take fouls and things of that nature, but to also understand that we're trying to protect each other. We're not trying to hurt anybody uh, in between the lines. We're just trying to you know, make sure it's it's competitive atmosphere. In terms of NBA fights in general, I think we've gotten to the point in which you have to really, really, really dislike someone. Uh, in order to fight during an NBA game because, for one, you paid a lot of money to be a professional, to be able to show up on time, to be able to work every day, and your job is to be available for your team. If you get into a fight, not only can bad things occur from the fight, i.e., for example, breaking your hand or something of that sort, but you also will be suspended, most likely. And if you can't fight, not only you get suspended, but you're probably getting beat up, which is a, a horrible uh, combination of things to go through uh, as a professional athlete. But I think that we've reached that point where there, those types of altercations won't happen. There's no, there's no room for that in our game. I think the suspensions that have been given out historically for altercations and, and, and things of that sort have swayed players away from wanting to do anything like that. Uh, I know Caruso talked about it on J.J. Reddick's podcast, uh, how the only reason essentially in which he would throw hands with someone would be if someone threw a punch at him first, which kind of you know goes back to the old adage of um, if someone hits you, you hit him back. So I, I think that's where we're kind of at with that. And I'm glad there haven't been any fights. I'm glad guys are mature enough to kind of handle things, you know, without taking it to that to that level. Uh, as a as a competitor, as a guy who's been in fights before and has has you know, wanted to do some things on the court. There's a bigger picture for all of us, for the sport of basketball, for the teams we represent, obviously uh, the NBA as a whole. And we don't want to ever put ourselves 
in those types of situations. But coming up, the Celtics had a players-only dinner, and I know this pains me to say out loud, Odell was released by my Browns. Stay locked in. Pull up or dish? One of my favorite topics on the pull up pod. The Celtics had some, you know, issues early on in the season, uh, which led to Marcus Smart's post game comments about the Tatum and Brown combination. He stated, "Every team knows we're trying to go to Jason and Jalen. Every team is programmed and studied to stop Jason and Jalen. I think everybody's scouting report is to make those guys pass the ball. They don't want to pass the ball, and that's something that they're going to learn. They're still learning, and we're proud of the progress they're making. But they are going to have to make another step and find ways to not only create for themselves but to create for others on this team." Long story short, I am dishing on this, but I'm also pulling up on it, which means I'm lukewarm. I think that what Smart was saying should have been said in private. I don't think that that's something you should say in public, but I think that that discussion led to better performance from their team. Obviously, Jalen Brown is is now injured, so he's not playing. He'll be out for a little bit, but he was playing extremely well, all-star level once again. Jalen was struggling a little bit in terms of field goal percentage and efficiency, but it's still Jalen Brown and it's constantly the center of attention from the defensive standpoint. But I think that conversation and that frustration that Marcus Smart displayed allowed for their team to kind of be more aware of his feelings and what's going on with the team. And I think that sparked a, a larger debate, and a larger conversation that led to a players only meeting. And I think that I am pulling up on players only meetings because I've seen them be very successful in my nine years in the NBA. And, you know, including my collegiate career, I've heard a lot of stories about the importance of players only meetings. And sometimes, obviously, it's just people arguing, kind of hashing out their frustrations. But other times, you're actually able to get stuff done, which is important. You need to understand, you know, what's going on with the team. You need to understand, you know, why people are feeling a certain way. And then you have to address you know, ways in which you can kind of improve what's what's going on. I think the Celtics hit the nail on the head in a lot of different areas. Marcus Smart felt the way about the team not sharing. He felt the way about them not playing hard defensively. And they responded. And they came out and guarded better. They held the team to under 100 points, under 90 points, I believe, right after that game. And I think their leading score probably had 17 points. So I think guys kind of locked in on doing whatever it takes to win. I think his point was well-received. But I think in terms of experiences I've had with player-only meetings, historically, they work better uh, when there's an actual agenda or objective in which you're trying to accomplish. Like if it's defense or if it's offense or if it's a player's upset about their playing time or they're upset about, you know, a road trip or how guys are performing at home. I think it's it's easier when you just kind of address certain things that are able to be fixed, right? Like for for instance, in their case, he's worried about them creating, you know, opportunities for for other players in the team. Since those guys have the ball in their hands the most, it's it's something that they can control, right? They're going to demand double teams at times. They're going to get hot at times. They're going to get a lot of pick and rolls in isolation situations. And they'll be able to kind of control who shoots and when they shoot. And I think that's something that they kind of adjust. But I also think that, as I've always said, there's a time and a place for certain discussions. And I think when you bring the media into it, they're able to kind of control the narrative and pick it apart and run with it. So I think sometimes it's best to just, you know, say things in private and then come out um, to the public eye with a unified front. I think that that kind of works better because then no one can kind of control your narrative. You can kind of control what you want out to the media. But 
I think it's important that teams, businesses, companies have meetings where staff are able to kind of address, you know, what's going well, performance reviews, things of that nature. It's very, very normal in corporate America. And I think the same should be said and accepted in the sports world because we're with each other every day. We spend a lot of our time together trying to accomplish, you know, one common goal, which is to win. And at times you're going to be frustrated, especially when you're going on road trips, especially when you're traveling city to city, you're landing late and you may be underperforming. Uh, I think all those things kind of factor into your mentality and it also factors into your mood. And I think that's why a lot of players uh, at times are scheduling, you know, these different types of meetings or outings or dinners where you can kind of hash out your issues while also bonding. Odell Beckham Jr. He was released from my beloved Browns. Uh, We had a great, great partnership and and one that I thought was going to last forever. I honestly thought he was the key to our Super Bowl success. And it's unfortunate that things didn't work out with OBJ, but I'm wishing him nothing but the best going forward as he transitions to the Rams. They have a very, very good team. They're loaded. He has a chance to win a Super Bowl or at least get to the Super Bowl. So I hope that goes well for him. I think for our Browns, uh, we played a very, very well-rounded game uh, last week, one in which I was very surprised about. I didn't, I didn't think we were going to beat the Bengals the way we did, but our defense performed. Baker was great. Uh, he delivered. He was accurate. Made some deep throws, and I think this is what's best for both parties. I, I, I talked about it uh, in my group chat with some of my friends. Um, it was a relationship that she wanted to see work out, but felt like it was best for both parties to move on in order for both parties to be more happy and successful, and I think the Browns will be more successful. It's a shame we won't be as uh, able to use OBJ, but I think we'll be more successful because they can kind of concentrate on distributing the ball. Stefanski can kind of call the offense and there won't be this, you know, this kind of cloud over whether or not OBJ is getting targets, although he does deserve targets. And I wish we could have used, utilized him better and more often and got him involved in the offense. He'll be able to get his targets. He'll be able to, to be the best version of himself somewhere else and I think the Rams you know with him in the slot man they're they're going to be a real problem their head coach is very very sharp he's very creative he was excited about getting OBJ and I can only imagine the schemes and play calling they'll have in place in order to to really take advantage of his skill set but I think he made the right decision going to LA he'll play a half a season or so have a chance to win a ring and also be able to kind of solidify himself not only within that organization and that roster but he'll kind of shift the the dynamic and the aura that kind of floats around his name and kind of show people that hey look I can still play great football I'm a good teammate I can play winning football within a winning organization and he's either going to get an extension for the Rams or he's going to be able to take his talents somewhere else Get the dub, take the L. The dub of the week is, ironically, the Warriors. No question. They're off to the league's best start, 10-1, playing extremely well. Number one in points scored, number one in point differential, number one in assists, number one in made threes per game, number one in defensive rating. And all of this has to do with not only their coaching staff, not only their players, obviously Steph Curry, but I think it's their chemistry and the way in which they play the game. I watch a lot of the Warriors games. Um just like most fans and and most people who enjoy League Pass because of the way they play. It's fast, it's fun, it's free-flowing. Obviously, Curry is very entertaining. Um, He's able to to score and do a lot of different things. And 
one of my other favorite players to watch is, is Gary Payton Jr. because of his athleticism, uh, because of, you know, the infectious uh, tenacity in which he displays in his story. You know, what, what he's had to go through to get to this point, you know, playing the G League, you know, playing at Oregon State, uh, bouncing around from team to team. And now he's sticking on arguably the hottest team in the NBA right now and one of the greater franchises uh, in NBA history. And I think it's really cool to, to see someone who's come from humble beginnings in, in terms of, you know, the path to to the NBA stick on a team like that where his talent has always been unquestioned. You always knew he was athletic. You always knew he could defend. You always knew he could do those things. Now he's getting a chance to show it on the highest stage and everyone is able to see it. Things that have changed about the Warriors are obviously the addition of Andre Iguodala. I think he's the key to this team. Obviously, Clay's going to come back and he's going to help and, and do what he does. But Dre is selfless. He does all the right things. He can defend one through five. He can initiate the offense and he gives them a versatility that they lacked last year, a veteran versatility where he can be a leader for the young guys, he can be a mentor, but he also doesn't care about points. He's, he's just trying to help his team win those set screens. He'll play some nights, he won't play some nights. He can be a peer mediator when he needs to for, for the rest of the, the guys on the team. And he can be their small ball four or their small ball five in the, in the way the game's played right now. So I think that was a huge, huge acquisition. And then obviously Wiggins is playing well. Poole is playing well. I love their bench. Everybody's kind of coming together. And the guys that played last season for the Warriors were able to gain invaluable experience, right? Having to do more than what they were accustomed to, having to play in close, tightly contested games, Having to rely on Steph, but also not rely on Steph with his second unit to figure out ways to kind of keep leads, you know, when he's going out of the game. I think all that stuff has kind of prepared them for this season to where now a lot of those guys are comfortable in their roles. They're being stars in their roles and they're not trying to do too much. I think the report that Clay's coming back is definitely going to be great for them. He's coming back before Christmas. I think he'll look solid. Clay's a guy who's always been north-south. He's not an east-west player. Um, he's strong. He's stable. He's sturdy. He's a 3 and D guy. Uh, he, he moves well without the basketball. He doesn't take a lot of dribbles, doesn't need a lot of dribbles. And I think based on how their offense works, he'll fit in like a glove. Obviously, the rhythm, the timing will take some time for him as he kind of progresses back after, you know, two-year hiatus where he was rehabbing and kind of figuring out um, when he was going to come back. But I think the way he plays as a sniper – um, they're going to get him shots. There's a lot of player ball movement. Draymond's going to initiate offense. Dre's going to initiate offense. Steph's going to continue to to be a magnet on offense to where defensively you're always worried about where he's at. I think he's going to fit in just great. I think the other hard part for the Warriors is figuring out whose minutes they're going to cut. Uh, from a distribution and bench standpoint, they have a lot of talent on that roster. They have a lot of guys who are playing well, a lot of guys who are extremely comfortable in the roles that they're playing. And I think, obviously, bringing back Clay is going to shift Jordan Poole's minutes. It's going to affect Damian Lee's minutes. It's going to affect um, Otto Porter's minutes, uh, Juan's minutes. But then we haven't even talked about James Wiseman, who was you know, their top pick um, over a year ago. He's a seven-footer with a lot of different skills who, who brings a lot to the game. And they're going to have to figure out ways to get him minutes. And the interesting part is Draymond has been so great at the 4-5 um, in terms of his, his playmaking, he's shooting the ball better from three. It's hard to not have him on the court. So they're going to have their hands full, with, whereas in, in previous years, there was lack of depth. Now they're getting back to that point where they have almost too much depth, if that makes sense. 
The L of the week goes to John Wall, and I'm a big John Wall fan. That's my guy. He's only getting an L this week because he's he's not able to play. Um, Woj basically said that there are no plans for John to play for the Rockets, and it's likely that he won't play anywhere this season because of his contract. So, in essence, he's he's taking an L because he's not able to play the game he loves. Right? This is a guy who works extremely hard. Um, he was number one overall draft pick. He played in in DC for over ten years. He showed that. He's improved his skill set. He started off as a slasher, a playmaker, a guy who was, you know, leading leading the guards in, in block shots. To now, he has a nice midi. He can get to the three pointer. He was playing well uh, last season before being shut down uh, while the the Rockets were on their quest for a, a top draft pick. The good news is Wallace owed ninety one point seven million over the next two seasons. He has a player option worth forty seven point four million for next season, which is great news. The, the bad news is that a buyout is unlikely because um, he and the Rockets have no interest in that. Basically, the Rockets don't want to pay him out all of his money early, and John doesn't want to take less money to go somewhere else because he's guaranteed ninety one point seven million dollars. So, in essence, this is a tough situation where John will be able to work out all season. Um, and be paid, but he won't be able to play in games. So that's a, a year kind of loss, but also a year where he can kind of tighten up and work on his game. This is basically the exact opposite of what's happening in Philly with the Sixers and Ben Simmons. Um, ben is being deducted pay. There's there's some issues around whether or not um, um, he's attending certain things that he's supposed to attend. There's fines that have been in place, and he's not playing, whereas John wants to play and is kind of in agreement with the Rockets that he won't play this season uh, in favor of some of the younger guys for development purposes. This is just a lot, honestly. Um, John is one of the best and most explosive point guards in the last decade, arguably one of the best and most explosive point guards the game has ever seen. And I hope he's able to get back um, this year. But if not, I think next season, hopefully they can find a suitor for him if he's not in the the Rockets' future plans and get back to being one of the better point guards the game has seen. Uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens with that situation and continuing to watch some of my league pass favorites, including the Warriors, the Hawks, the Chicago Bulls, those types of teams that I, I definitely enjoy watching. We're going to be bringing back this segment called Mailbag, where basically you hit us up on the pull-up pod on IG or Twitter with questions, and then I answer them each week. So now I'm going to start. At what point in the season do you really start to pay attention to standings? I think I usually check in on standings at the 10-game mark, and then I check in again around the 20-game mark. I think 10 games gives you a great base of, you know, trends, you know, kind of where you're at offensively, where you're at defensively and where other teams are. But normally it's so early and so close um, in terms of standings, but also where you're at in the season that it's hard to really kind of figure out where teams are going to finish at. So I think 20, 25 games gives me a good baseline of consistency. Teams have played more road games. Teams have traveled. They've played some games out of conference, and that gives you a better idea. Team that surprised me the most so far this season, I'm going to go with the Bulls, but also the Wizards. Um, they have, Both teams are playing extremely well. The Bulls, I'm only surprised because they got a lot of different players in who, who play the guard position. And sometimes it takes time from a chemistry standpoint to kind of figure out spacing, figure out who's going to take the shots when. But they've balanced that all so well. And then I think the Wizards, they look really, really good. Um, Kuzma's been a great fit. Obviously, Dinwiddie was a big signing for them. They have Montrez Harrell, 
Brad's playing well as always, and I think that they're heading in the right direction um, for sure. The best game I've watched this season is probably the most recent game between the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Memphis Grizzlies. It was a crazy, crazy game. A lot of back and forth. There's controversial reviews on a goaltending. Uh, ja was playing great basketball. He hits a big shot, uh, gets a dunk. They get a stop. And then Towns hits a bank three from about 40 feet at the buzzer to send the game in overtime. So that was a very fun game to watch. Uh, Memphis ended up taking that one. Steph was the first player to score 50 this season. Who will be next? I'm going to go with Kevin Durant. He just had 30 points on like 12 shots, which is insane. Over 90% from the field, which is bananas. He's in video game mode. The game's coming very easy to him. His, his load is heavier because there's no Kyrie. James is continuing to try to find himself. So I think Katie's probably the next guy that scores 50, although Anthony Edwards was very, very close. An NBA rule change that you would like to see that hasn't been made yet, I would go with the take foul, the one that Morris took on Joker. Uh, not as aggressive, obviously, but that foul has kind of slowed up our game. It started in Europe and has kind of expanded to our game now, and it's affecting the fast break points, the highlight plays, and things that we truly enjoy as players and as fans. Some songs on my pregame playlist right now. I've been listening to a lot of slow jams. Um, so... Candy Rain, Soul For Real, Breaking My Heart, Mint Condition, Return of the Mac, Mark Morrison, Before I Let Go, Amazing, Frankie Beverly, No Letting Go, Wayne Wonder, one of my favorite songs of all time. Also the song I came out to on my wedding night. And that's about it. I've been listening to a lot of slow jams, but always, always, always tapping it with J. Cole. TV show I'm binging right now. I have started Ted Lasso. The hype has drawing me in. A lot of people have told me about it. Lady Jess from our staff, one of our uh, uh, PTs, uh, one, of, one of the ladies I work with on a day-to-day basis um, in terms of stretching and things of that nature, kind of keeping my body in order. She's a big Ted Lasso fan. Rick Riley, our head of security, is a big Ted Lasso fan. Everybody that I talk to says, I have to watch Ted Lasso. You have to watch it. So I am watching Ted Lasso and I'm enjoying it so far. It's that time of the episode again where I'm on the road, I'm traveling. So obviously I travel with my suitcase of wine and I recently had an Oregon wine, a Pinot. I share it with Eric Hallman, our head equipment manager. I usually try to find him at the bar when we're on the road um, to either get him a drink or to have dinner with him. And in LA most recently, got treatment. I got a massage from Jasmine, our massage therapist. And I found him at the bar and we decided to watch the Lakers. Uh, Charlotte game at the bar, and I brought down a 2014 Shea Vineyard Pinot Noir. It was very, very good. Um, I truly enjoyed it. It was more light than bold, more smooth than tannic, more dry than sweet. It was higher in acidity, uh, hints of cherry, red fruit, strawberries, a little earthy, uh, a little smoky, and there was a little bit of cola tobacco butter uh you know the baking spices things of that nature i I felt the hints of it price point fluctuates uh, obviously depending on the year but you're looking at like over 100 bucks from a price range standpoint i would highly recommend it you know very very good wine usually going to be consistent you kind of know what you're going to get and it's an organ wine so you can't go wrong with that 
Once again, I want to thank everyone for checking in this week. As always, be sure to follow the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your shows. Tell a friend to tell a friend. And hit the show up on social at Pull Pod on Twitter and Instagram. We're always posting fresh content. And don't forget the mailbag. Send your questions in. And as the saying goes, don't forget to pull up. <laughs> <laughs>